Well, I think we've got a number of people traveling uh, this week, but I'm really glad you guys came out uh, to worship Christ Jesus. I don't guess I'd rather be anywhere else than be with God's people on Sunday Amen. to uh, sing His praises. I, I know we're a small group tonight, but I just loved hearing you sing, and you just blessed my heart. And, and uh, you know what pleases the Lord? No, no matter how humble the, the assembly is, it pleases God to hear His people cry out to Him and sing His praises. And, and uh, yeah, I was really blessed tonight listening to you sing. I've shared this story with you before, but I think it, uh, it'll help us to think about what God is saying to us tonight. 1951, uh, a young woman named Floris Chadwick became the first woman to swim the English Channel uh, in both directions. Okay? And she set a record uh, going both ways um, each time she swam. She set a world record. In 1942, uh, Miss Chadwick decided she was going to swim from Catalina Island, which is just off 26 miles off the coast of Southern California, to the, to the mainland. And uh, she decided that was what she wanted to do next. About 15 hours into the, the swim, a, a really thick fog closed in. And she could not see much at all, much, much less the shoreline. And she could barely see the boats, her... Um, the boats that were accompanying her for her safety. She said afterwards, when the fog came in, she said, I begin to doubt my ability to make it to the mainland. And her mother exhorted her and said, Florence, you can do this. You're close. You can make it. And she swam for one more hour, and she gave up. She was physically and emotionally exhausted. She was only half a mile. She was only a half a mile from the shore. And she said in her press conference the next day, she said, if I could have only seen the shore, I think I could have made it. But she couldn't see the shore because of the fog. Two months later, she tried it again. Same thing happened. The same fog uh, came in very thick. She couldn't see anything, but this time was different. And she made it. And she told uh, the newsman the next day, she said, I kept a mental image of the shoreline in my mind as I swam forward. In Hebrews 11, God says it's a lot like that with His children. To use the Apostle Paul's words, real Christians, as we talked a lot about last week. Does anybody remember? Real Christians what? We press on. Yeah, the hard-pressed man and woman press on. We press on, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how hard it is, no matter how, shall we use the, the, the metaphor here, no matter how foggy it is, we, we press on. We persevere. God says, my children always keep a mental image of their goal. Hebrews 11.10 God says, my children are looking for the city whose architect and builder is God. Hebrews 11.16 My children desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Of course, you remember that unforgettable thing God says in Hebrews 11.16 about those who are really pursuing Him in this way. Those who are persevering. Those who are pressing on. You remember that great thing God says in Hebrews 11. I think I shared it with you either last week or the week before last. God says, I am not ashamed to be their God. Right? Isn't that a, I mean, he doesn't say anything like this in the whole Bible anywhere else. To me, it's just it's a jaw-dropping thing. God says, I am not ashamed to be their God. 
We said it a lot in our sermon series on heaven two years ago. And if you haven't heard that series, go out there on the podcast site and, and listen to it if you haven't been taught much about heaven. Uh, I think it's a great poverty in much of the modern church that we don't think about it, we don't preach it, we don't teach it, we don't meditate on it. If you read actually read Hebrews 11, you see that it was a, a, a major preoccupation for those men and women. They were looking at God. They were looking at eternity. They were looking at heaven. That was one reason they were able to live those extraordinary lives of faith. But one thing we said a lot in that series was the Christian's worldview is to be dominated by his heaven view. Right? Anybody remember that? The Christian's worldview is to be dominated uh, by his heaven view. Let me ask you. Let me just stop and ask you. Is that true of you? When you're making important decisions in your life, maybe even uh, not so important decisions in your life, is heaven always a part of it? Is heaven always in the, in the calculus? In your decision making? For the Christian, our worldview is dominated by our heaven view. It's how, it's how we learn to navigate and negotiate and process the temporal life through the prism of God, through the prism of eternity, through the prism of reward in heaven. This is how the Bible-believing Christian prosecutes his life. We always, as um, Florence Chadwick was saying, we, we, we always keep that mental and heart image of where we're going. We're on our way home, aren't we? So no matter how hard it gets, no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how foggy it is, we as Paul, the Apostle Paul encouraged us last week, we press on, right? We press on. And he's going to continue to talk about that tonight. And we press on to, to the golden shore. How many of you have read Adoniram Judson's uh, biography? Anybody? To the golden shore. This is what Adoniram Judson called the heaven. To the golden shore. He had that mental image. Man, he went through all... If you've never read that biography, I, I commend it to you. He went through unbelievable suffering. He says, I'm looking at the golden shore. Right? <laughs> I'm, looking at, I'm looking at the golden shore. So, um, it's part of what Paul's been saying to us in the third chapter of Philippians. The first 14 verses, as we've seen the last several weeks, more or less, is Paul's personal testimony. We found out that Paul used to be all about Paul. He used to be all about religion. He was the perfect Jew. He was an awesome Jew. He was at the top of the food chain in Jerusalem. But everything changed for him face down on the road to Damascus when Jesus invaded his life. And you remember how Paul said it a few weeks ago? He said, everything I thought was gain to me, I now count as loss. Being a perfect Jew didn't matter to Paul anymore. Knowing Christ Jesus and radically walking with Him is what mattered to Paul. He couldn't make life about religion anymore. I love that. He could, it was too small, right? I mean, <laughs> who can't confess to that? I mean, uh, hey, I was a religious man for 28 years, right? And then, then I became a Christian. I got converted. But religion is so small. It's so boring. It's, it's so dead. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's too small. It's just too small. And Paul, Paul learned that. Paul learned that lesson. He decided he wasn't going to settle anymore for dead religion. He was going to walk with God. As we mentioned last week, Paul's been a Christian for over 30 years as he writes the book of Philippians. 
over 30 years. And what did we hear him say last week? He says, man, I am not there yet. I'm not where I need to be as a man of God. I have not arrived. We heard that great confession last week. Paul says, I'm not there yet, but I press on. I press on. Philippians 3.13, Paul says, this one thing I do. Don't you love that? I didn't really make much of that last week. And I, I realized what... Yeah, what, I'm not a very good preacher sometimes, I realize. I should have made a lot of the fact that Paul says, it's the one thing I do. If I don't do anything else, it's the one thing I do. I press on to Christ Jesus, right? It's, it's His priority. He builds all of His life around that one reality. He says, it's the one thing I do. It's the one thing I do. I press on. Philippians 3.14 I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We mentioned it last week. Paul is, uh, saying, is really saying two things here, but they are in effect the same thing. One, he's saying I'm pressing on in my sanctification. Right? I'm pressing on in my conformity with Christ Jesus. I'm cooperating with the Holy Spirit in my own sanctification. He said, I'm soft clay in the potter's hands. And I ask you, last week, I'm going to ask you again this week, are you soft clay in the potter's hands? Is God able to take you and mold you into the image of His Son? The second thing Paul is saying here is he says, I'm pressing on in my sanctification, but he also says, I'm pressing on toward heaven. I'm pressing toward the golden shore. He's saying both of these things as he exhorts us to press on. But these things, it's not really two things, is it? It's, it's really one thing. It's really one thing. It's true, isn't it? If a man is not really concerned about his sanctification, he's not really thinking about heaven at all, right? His mind is, and his heart is, are, are fixed on this world. So Paul says, I press on in my sanctification as I press on to the golden shores. We mentioned uh, last week, you can always tell the hard-pressed man. He presses on. Now, I'm going to say it to you again. Why was Paul hard-pressed? You should know this by now. Why was Paul hard-pressed? I think I've said it in every sermon for the last five weeks. Why was Paul hard-pressed? Okay, to live as Christ, to die as gang. Right? He's hard-pressed. He said, man, I, yeah, it would be good to stay here and, and magnify Christ in my life. But it'd be very much better just to go and be with him. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Beloved, you know you're starting to mature as a Christian when this is your mindset. When you can, when you can genuinely say, man, to live is Christ. I'm gonna, if I live, I'm going to honor him, man. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to magnify him in my life. But it'd be very much better just to go and be with him. I mean, this is, you know. Yeah, if I had to pick one verse out of the New Testament to, to succinctly define Christianity, it would be this one. To live is Christ, to die is gain. So Paul is hard-pressed, and the hard-pressed man or woman always presses on. In our focal text tonight, uh, Paul gives us some really good advice about pressing on. Okay, This is very practical. If you, have, if you have a hard time pressing on, if it's hard for you to press on, if it gets hard for you sometimes and, and you get discouraged and you, you don't continue to press on, Paul is going to exhort us and give us three, uh, three bits of advice about 
pressing on, about being a hard-pressed man or woman. Verse 17, he says, look for an example. Verse 18, he says, look out for the enemy. Verse 20, he says, look forward with expectation. Verse 17, Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Now, Paul says, follow my example. Now, if you rip that out of context, that would sound pretty arrogant, right? But what has he been saying to us for the last four, five, six verses? He's saying, man, I am not where I need to be. I have not yet arrived. I continue to press on. Paul's not saying, follow me because I'm sinless and I'm perfect. Paul's saying, follow me because, because I... Uh, Paul says, follow me despite the fact that I'm not perfect because I'm pressing on. This is what Paul is saying. Don't, we're not following Paul because he's the sinless example. We're following Paul because he presses on. Beloved, that's, that's the call tonight. That's, the, that's been the call for the last two or three weeks. Press on with Christ. Go deeper with Christ. Go deeper with Christ. This should be a, a priority in your life. To go deeper. To go deeper with Christ. So Paul's not saying, follow me, I've arrived, I'm perfect. He's saying, follow me because I press on. I press on no matter what. He says, I am a pilgrim progressing. You know, Paul wrote the, the letter to the Romans two or three years before he wrote this letter to the Philippians, right? Two or three years before. So the Philippians have read the book of Romans. They know exactly what Paul said in Romans chapter 7. What did Paul talk about in Romans chapter 7? He talked about his own struggle with his sin nature. So Paul's not holding himself up as a sinless, um, perfect uh, Christian to, to follow. But he says, this one thing I do, I press on. He says, follow me in that. This is what Paul is saying. Follow me in the fact that I press on. In a very personal way, Paul is showing us what soft clay is supposed to look like. <laughs> okay? Paul, it, Paul's life shows us what soft clay is supposed to look like. How a man moves from absolute godlessness, okay, to ever-increasing godliness. This is the pilgrimage that all of us are on, right? If we're born again, if we're in Christ tonight, if we're in relationship with Christ, this is our pilgrimage. We're moving away from, from um, godlessness to godliness, right? And we'll continue to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our sanctification. Paul shows us how to, to fight the good fight and to move on with God. Paul is saying, follow my example of being soft clay in the potter's hands. This is what Paul is saying. And this is really my challenge to you tonight, to be soft clay in the potter's hands. You know, you just know if you're soft clay or hard clay. I mean, you just you know it. You know if you're, you're sensitive to, to, to uh, what God is, is trying to say to you. I mean, in your prayer time and as you study the Word of God, as you come to church, you, 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 you're just sensitive to it or you're not. I mean, you can just know pretty easily if you're soft clay or hard clay. It's what we talked about last week. God says, uh, He says to us in Hebrews 12.1, remember what He said? He gave us all those examples in Hebrews 11. Then in Hebrews 12.1, He says, yeah, I showed you all of that stuff because this is how I want you to live too, right? So really, every Christian should be intimate with Hebrews 11. You should be intimate with Hebrews 11 because this is how God expects you to live. 
God says, hey, you see all those men and women? You see how they came after me? You see how they loved me? You see how they radically obeyed me? That's how I want you to live. This is what the Lord says to us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. God says, learn from those guys. I want you to learn from those guys. I want you to see what happens when you abandon yourself to me. What happens when, when the Christian abandons himself to, to, uh, to, to, to the Lord? What happens? A God encounter always happens. God shows up, right? God shows up and He does God stuff. God always shows up when His people abandon themselves to Him and they give themselves to faith. I have a personal testimony about what Paul's talking about here and I'm going to take just a minute to share it with you. Paul says, join in following my example, but he also says, observe those who walk according to the pattern you have. So, let me just share a little bit of a personal example or a personal testimony here. In my Christian life, I've looked at Christ. We're to look at Christ. He's our perfect model, right? But Christ never struggled with, with fallen flesh, right? He's God in the flesh. But we look at Him. We look at Paul. He was a man that struggled with his fallenness. And we look, at, we look at him. We look at the men and women of Hebrews 11. Really, we read good biographies of, of great Christians down through the history of the church. But Paul's saying something else here. He says, hey, he's saying, observe those who walk, those who are in your orbit, right? This is what he's saying. Observe how they walk um, according to the pattern that you have in us. I've had the privilege to do this. I've watched godly men that the Lord has put in my path. And I've learned from them. And God has used them in a mighty way to change my life. It's one thing to read about it in Scripture, right? And it's an awesome thing. I love it. I love to read these awesome things that men and women do following God. I love it. And then I love to read these biographies of all these awesome things these men and women have done down through the history of the church. And I'm so inspired, right? But it's another thing. It's another thing to watch a man that you know, flesh and blood, do it. Right? This is what Paul's talking about. Beloved, you're to be an example for someone to watch. Right? You're to be an example for someone to watch. To be encouraged. Uh, with respect to pressing on. I've been, I've told you this story many times, I've been in the church uh, since I was an infant, but you know, I was just doing religion and stuff, and I, at, at the age of 28, the, the Lord converted me. So I knew a whole lot of people who wore a Christian label, but I didn't know any Christian who really lived outside the box. I'd never met one who really pushed the envelope of faith. I, had, well, I may have met one, but I didn't know it. And then I met a guy named Jim Eliff. Actually, he's written some of the books on the, on the table. And uh, this guy really lived it, <laughs> right? And I was, I was so intrigued by this man. He was an itinerant preacher, right? And he, wrote, and he writes books on the side. But he never charges to go preach, and he never, sells his, he, he, you know, he, he never sold his books. He just gave them away. I mean, this man had no visible means of support. And he had a wife and three kids. And I was just intrigued by it. He, you know, and he would just throw me good books. And one book he, he threw me was, I don't, oh, here it is, was this book, The Autobiography of George Mueller. How many of you read this book? 
If you haven't read this book, you should read this book. This is a man of prayer and a man of faith. And he threw me this book, and I read this, and I go, well, people don't really live like this. Yeah, they really don't. But Eliph did. Eliph lived like this. You know the story, George Mueller, God used George Mueller to feed and clothe and house and educate and evangelize over 10,000 orphans during George Mueller's lifetime. Mueller never did fundraising. He didn't have an endowment. Um, he just prayed, God provided. This is how Eliph lived. It's how, it's how he lived. And I was so in awe of that. And I wanted to learn more about that. And I, I got the opportunity. I, I, I quit my job in, in 98 as a CPA and I went to seminary and Eliph was there. Eliph had already moved up to seminary. He was up there. He was, a, he was an adjunct professor. And I got to work for him in his ministry. And I got to watch people just send money in all the time to Eliph. Right? He'd go preach somewhere. Say he'd go preach out in Kansas City somewhere. And... You know, a couple weeks later, I'd be getting all these checks. People just wanted to bless him, right? God would just bless Eliph through his people. And I saw it firsthand, and I just, I loved it. And so, I still remember, I still remember when uh, I told Jim, you know, I got out of seminary, and I told Jim, I said, well, there's this church in Milan, Italy, right? And they don't have any people. Uh, they don't meet anymore. There are no members and they can't pay us a living wage. And they want, they want Karen and I to come over there and be the pastor, right? You know what he said? <laughs> I mean, he said, you're going to go, aren't you? And I was highlighting all the financial, potential financial problems involved in the, in the calculus here, right? He says, you're going to go, aren't you? He says, this stuff doesn't happen by accident. He says, go! And let, give God a chance to prove Himself mighty in your life. <laughs> Seven years later, here we are. Seven years later, here we are, and I can give testimony. I saw Jim live there, his faith huge. And, and it helped me live my faith huge. And what I want to say to you, brethren, beloved, find someone who really walks big with God and learn from them. And also be mindful that you are being watched. Be an example. Be an example for others to watch. Be an example for other, others to watch. I can still remember when we came over here, <laughs> the committee said, I remember the guy that was, head, you know, there were three people actually that, that really had any interest in the church. And I can remember the guy, the, he was an American businessman, he said, really, financially, this doesn't really look possible. I mean, that's what he said. And then he offered us the job. <laughs> it's not really possible, but do you want to come? You know, and Karen and I just thought, well, this is a good opportunity for God to do a God thing. And uh, he has. And what I want to say to you, beloved, we've been on this really cool, um, real-life experience of seeing God provide for us for seven years. And uh, I, I really can't explain it. It's just, it's a powerful intimacy with God. And um, I would have never experienced this unless I had pressed on in the faith. So God is telling us something very important here. He says, yes, look at my son. Look at my apostle. Look at Hebrews 11. Look at the great biographies. Look at the people in your life that are really coming after me that really love me, that really trust me and really obey me. Verse 18 and 19. 
Then Paul says, uh, in pressing on, you've got to look out for the enemy. For many walk, of whom I've often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Paul's not really warning us about uh, the obvious enemies of the cross. He's not really talking about Satan and, and uh, all of the the manifold enemies in the in the world. He's really talking about he's really talking about the the wolves in sheep's clothing, and that's what he's talking about because he's been talking about this earlier in the chapter. He's not talking about obvious wolves. He's talking about wolves in sheep's sheep's clothing. It's what Jesus said in, in Matthew seven twelve. He says, "Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves." We talked about Matthew 7 just a few weeks ago. Remember Jesus said, there will only be a handful who are deceived about being a Christian. Is that what, remember what, he, is that what he said? What did He say in Matthew? He said, there will be many who say to Me, Lord, Lord, I was quite religious. I did a lot of cool religious stuff. And Jesus will say to them, I don't know who you are. And so we understand that there will be many who are deceived. And we understand that one reason there will be many who are deceived is because the text tells us right here in verse 18 that there are many who are deceivers. There are many who are the enemies of Christ. Paul again uh, is talking about counterfeit Christianity. It's what we talked about in, in the first part of the chapter in verse 2. Paul was doing battle with the Judaizers, men who wanted to add circumcision to faith in Christ to be saved. And as we've discussed uh, several times in here, counterfeit Christianity, it's always when men take the Bible and they alter it, they amend it, they edit it, they change it, they add to it, they subtract from it. This is what Paul's talking about. These men, he said, are enemies. We heard what he called them in the first part of the chapter. They're, they're dogs and evil workers. Paul's still talking about this situation. Whether it's self-justifying religious works that you find uh, in Catholicism or the self-serving, me-centered, dumbed-down gospel that you find in much of Protestantism. It's not the true gospel. This is the true gospel. This is the true gospel. We are saved. Let's say it again. Who knows? We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Basta. And if anybody adds anything to it, they are enemies of the cross. Jim, you talk about this all the time. I know I'm preaching verse by verse. This is one of the uh, occupational hazards of preaching verse by verse. God just keeps talking about it. God hates it when men change His Gospel. Beloved, He hates it and He just keeps talking about it. Hey, if you're going to go verse by verse through the New Testament, God's just going to keep talking about it. Don't you dare change my Gospel, He says. Don't you dare add your religion to my Gospel. God says they are enemies of the cross if they've added to my gospel. This is the word of the Lord. I'm not on a tangent, beloved. I'm simply trying to preach.
preach the Word of God. And it's my job as a preacher to take what Paul is saying about the Judaizers and bring it into our modern context. And our modern context is that much of what is called Christendom today is apostate. It is apostate. It no longer simply holds to this. It no longer simply holds to this. You remember what Jesus said? We talked about it last week. He says, man, you worship God in vain. You're holding to traditions. No longer holding to simply the authority of God's Word. Did you notice Paul says, I am weeping as he writes this. Why would Paul be weeping? Well, in my mind, he's weeping because of all the damage that is done by the enemies of the cross of Christ. The the damage that is done by counterfeit Christianity. Beloved, it is damning. Counterfeit Christianity is damning. It takes millions to hell. I don't know if you've ever heard that from a pulpit before. It takes millions to hell who are trusting in their works, trusting in their religion, trusting in their ordinances or their sacraments, or trusting in anything other than Jesus Christ. It takes millions to hell. This is what Paul is talking about. He says it's it's damning. A false gospel is, is damning. And he weeps as he talks about it. He weeps as he talks about it. Verse 19, the Holy Spirit is saying, look what he says. He says their, their end is destruction. He's talking about the false teachers and those who blindly and willfully follow them. Again, in Matthew 7, Jesus says there'll be many, there'll be many who believe that they are Christians, but they are, in fact, not So what does Paul mean here when he talks about these enemies of of the cross of Christ? He says, their God is their appetite, their glory is their shame, uh, setting their minds on earthly things. What is Paul saying to to us here? Well, in my mind, it runs parallel to what Jesus said to the religious guys in Matthew 7. They were trusting in their works. Remember, they came to Christ and they didn't say, we've placed our faith in you. What did they say? Hey, I was casting out demons in your name. And hey, I was doing miracles in your name. Of course you're going to let me into heaven. I was really religious. Jesus says, I don't know who you are, man. Depart from me, you, you, uh, you who practice lawlessness. And I think that's what Paul is saying to us here. That the preeminent drive of these enemies of the cross is their own Um, is to magnify themselves and to honor themselves. Their God was their appetite for their own earthly glory. Beloved, it's counterfeit Christianity. Verse 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He uh, has even to subject all things to Himself. This is Paul's third point. He says, if you're going to press on, you've got to look forward. Right? You've got to look forward with expectation. This is Paul's third point. He says, if you're really hard-pressed, you'll be, uh, uh, you'll be serious about pressing on. And your, your, your worldview will be dominated by your heaven view. 
This is what Paul is saying. He says, you got to know your citizenship is where? It's in heaven. Our, beloved, are you living like your citizenship is in heaven? Or are you living like it's in this world? <laughs> or, I mean, I'm asking, you, I'm asking you a tough question. Are you living like you're, citizen, like you're a citizen of heaven? Or are you living like you belong here? We talked about it last week or the week before. We're not here to stay. What? We're here to go. We're, we're aliens. We're strangers. We're exiles. We're passing through. We're pilgrims on our way. We're pilgrims on our way. You remember what Paul told the Colossians, chapter 3, 1 and 2. Remember how he said it? He says, the, the real, he says, hey, if it's real with you, this is what he says. He says, man, if it's real with you, he says, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Let me ask you, beloved, what makes your heart beat fast? The things above or the things on the earth? Examine yourself, Paul told the Corinthians. Examine your heart. What is it that you've really given your affections to? Have you given yourself away to Christ Jesus? Or are your affections still entangled in this world? That's one thing the Lord is saying to us tonight. He says, man, if you're really going to be, if you're going to press on, if you're going to come after me, he says, man, you've got to understand your citizenship is not here. It is not here. It's there. And my simple question to you as your pastor is, are you living like it's there, beloved? That's the question I have to ask myself when I study this text. Are we living like our citizenship is there? Real Christians really point at the Bema seat. Everybody knows what the Bema seat is, right? I got a question about this last week. Sometimes I, I assume too much. Well, the Bema seat is simply where we stand before the Lord and our works in the body are judged and we give an account of our stewardship before the Lord. It's not about sin. Our sin is gone. It's not about that. It's about our stewardship. And so the believer understands this and the believer points at the Bema seat. I'm pointing at that moment when I'm going to look into the eyes of God. That's, that's the most uh, vivid reality to me. Right? We're pointing at heaven. We're pointing at the Bema seat. We're pointing at the well done in Matthew 25. You know the story? Right? The master went away. He left his stewards in charge. And one of the guys had five talents and he took those five talents and he turned it into five more talents. And he had to give an accounting to his master. And, and his master was so pleased. He had radically invested. He had a radical return. And what did, what did the master say? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Beloved, that's going to happen to every one of us, Lord willing. Those of us who belong to Christ Jesus, we will give an account. We will give an account at the Bema seat. We will give an account. We're on our way to King Jesus. Did you see that? This is Jesus is in heaven, right? And one day He'll come back. Verse 20, we're on our way to Him. Our citizenship is in heaven and we're on our way to Him. This was one of the things that drove the men and women of Hebrews 11 
And I want to challenge you, if you're, not, if you're not intimate with Hebrews 11, I want you to start reading it, reading it, reading it, reading it. Thinking deeply about it. I mean, it, it's a little bit important because God says, this is, God says you're saved by faith, and then He says this is faith. <laughs> and if you read Hebrews 11, you realize it's not mental assent to dogma or doctrine. That's not what it is. That's not the biblical definition of faith. I know you've heard it said, you're not really ready to live until you're ready to die. The Christian is ready to do both. Amen? We are ready. We can actually live huge lives of faith because we're really ready to go. In fact, it's very much better. <laughs> it's very much better to go and be with Christ. Verse 20, Paul says, uh, look, look how he says it here. He says, our awesome Creator, Redeemer, God, He's coming back. He really is coming back. He's going to come back for His people. It's what He's saying there. He's a promise-keeping God. It's John 14. Jesus says, I I'm going to go away, but I'm going to come back. And you'll be with Me. He's going to come back. Verse 21, Paul says, when Jesus returns, He will transform our bodies into conformity with His glorious resurrected body. I don't understand this text. You know, sometimes there are these texts, and I tell you this, I'm, I, I try to be very candid with you. Uh, this is one of those verses that, that for me personally, it's too awesome to speculate. I have no idea what this means. I know it's good, but I have no idea exactly in what sense or in what form we're going to be like the glorified resurrected body of Christ Jesus. You know, this, this text echoes what the Holy Spirit says in 1 John 3, 2. Remember, He said, Beloved, we are children of God and it has not yet appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when Jesus appears, we shall be like Him. Beloved, that's breathtaking. That's a breathtaking uh, assertion. It's God's stated purpose that not only are we to come into spiritual conformity with His Son, in some manner, ultimately, we will come into physical conformity with His Son. <laughs> and I, I can't explain that to you. I don't even, you know, when I get texts like, when I hit a text like this, I don't try to explain it. I just worship, right? <laughs> I just worship. Look what He says. He's going to transform our bodies, you know, our fallen bodies, our sinful bodies, our lustful uh, bodies, our corruptible bodies, our fallen bodies, our diseased bodies, our addicted bodies. He's going to do away with all that and we're going to be transformed uh, into conformity with the body of His glory. I don't understand this. It made me think when I was reading this, it made me think of those awesome things Jesus says in John 17. Remember when He's praying to His Father? And he talks about how the believer is going to be caught up into the Godhead. And I, I don't even comment on these things. I don't understand them. And I don't want to be sacrilegious in any way. But in, in John 17, Jesus says that, we're, that, the, that the believer is caught up in the joy and in the glory. Somehow, remember he says, he says uh, Father, I pray that they'll be one even as we are one, that they may be in us. Capital U. I don't understand this, so I don't comment much on it. All I say is this is awesome. <laughs> this is awesome. And this is one of those verses. It, it's too lofty to parse. It's too lofty to parse, but I challenge you to worship. I challenge you to worship. Paul says, hey, if you're going to press on, you need to look at good examples. You need to watch out. You need to look out for the enemies of the cross. 
And you need to have, you need to look forward with expectation. So I'm going to go back to Florence Chadwick and her failure in her first attempt to swim from Catalina to, to the California coast. You remember why she failed? She couldn't see. She, couldn't see. she got lost in the fog. She, she could not see the coastline. But you remember why she succeeded the second time? Because she kept a mental image. She kept a mental image of the shoreline. She was battling the same fog, but she kept a mental image. And this is what Paul is saying to us tonight, beloved. Press on. Press on. You know, on your hardest day, you know, when the doctor says you have cancer, uh, or your spouse leaves, or your child dies, uh, you lose your financial security is gone. On your hardest day, that's when it honors God the most to press on. To press on with God. To press on with the Lord. So that's the challenge tonight, beloved. That's the challenge tonight. I'm just going to ask you, are you pressing on? Are you pressing on with the Lord? I want you to take a mental a mental inventory, a heart inventory tonight. Are you, really, are you really abandoning yourself to Christ Jesus? And is that evident to those around you? Is that evident to those in your family? Is it evident to your fellow students? Is it evident to your co-workers? Do they see that you are a Hebrews 11 man or woman? That you, you press on no matter what. You press on. You can't help it, can you? <laughs> He's too awesome, right? He's too awesome. Let's pray. Lord, we praise You. We praise You, beautiful God. We, uh, we thank You for these reminders. We thank You for this advice, this good counsel on how we might press on with You. Father, I pray that you would give us, each, each man or woman in here, an example to, to walk beside, a godly example, a, an example of a man or woman who has sold out and has abandoned themselves to the beautiful life that is walking with Christ Jesus. And Lord, that we would remember that we, are, we should be examples to others. So Father, I pray that we would walk in big faith. Lord, I pray that we would be mindful of the enemies of the cross of Christ Jesus. That we would not be timid. We would not be ignorant. That we would speak out about the damning consequences of a false gospel. A man-centered, a, a man-saturated, a man-created gospel. So Lord, I pray that as we press on, we would be bold to speak truth in love. And Father, I pray that each one of us in here would, would be mindful of the golden shore we would not lose sight of it, that we would have this expectation. Father, that we would really understand what Paul is saying and our life would be permeated by this reality. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Lord, that's the kind of Christians we want to be. I pray that Your Spirit would come. I pray that we would be soft clay, Father. I pray that maybe some of us in here need to examine our hearts this week. Have we really abandoned ourselves? Are we really going with Jesus? 
Help us, Lord, I pray in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.